Hello, and welcome back to the Soul Insight Podcast. This is Kira Burgess. Today, I want to speak about death. Death has been on my mind. It's been going round and round in all sorts of ways for months now. And um, I think it's really important we speak about death. And because not a lot of us do, I'm here to start that conversation and be someone who's willing to speak about death. So here we go. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, I'm Kira Burgess, and you're listening to the Soul Insight Podcast, where we'll explore diverse perspectives of living on purpose and in alignment. In alignment with your heart, your soul, your truth, your values, and your connection to something greater. Basically, we're going to talk about how to live a fulfilling life. Alright, so it's Wednesday, June 2nd in the afternoon. Uh, It's a hot, hot day in St. Albert today, 30 degrees or more. pretty nice for the beginning of June. So death. Um, I'm actually really happy and really excited to delve into this topic. I don't have a list written, but I have some concepts on my mind. So um, one is our fear of death and what that does to us. One is the recent findings Um, I mean, we've known, we've had stories, and for some reason, humans really like proof, especially when they're in denial, Uh, but but they've recently found with seismic investigation 215 buried bodies at the Kamloops Indian Residential School in British Columbia. I think that was last week, I don't remember the exact day it was announced. Uh, So that, there's a whole topic to explore and some questions, some prompts I had put on my Instagram feed and someone had asked me, oh, is there, is there somewhere I can go to like learn more about what you're, what you're asking and kind of self-reflection and cultural self-reflection. So of the self and of our community and our our different demographics. And so I want to speak to that. Um, Also to the fact that my mom has cancer. She was diagnosed in October of 2020 and she did go through some treatment uh, and it helped a bit but it didn't help enough to remove what was going on and the cancer has spread and the only treatment in western medicine that we know of that's left to try is a clinical trial that's never been tried on humans and it has a 15% success rate. So I'm not sure how many months that is. October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. So eight, yeah, it's been about eight months since she found out she had cancer. And that's just been a wake-up call to, to, you know, ponder and consider what does it mean Um when someone's life could be or will be ending. And, and I mean, we know, but do we? Do we really know? This is one of the things I want to talk about. 
we know we'll all die. Um, but that's what I want to talk about. Do we actually acknowledge it? Um, but yeah, when it's a loved one, when it's your mother, you know, possibly one of the people you've been the closest with in your life, at least um, possibly likely for many people in your infancy. Um, and for me, a lot of my life, well, yeah, I was really, I'm really close with my mom. And, um, and then all those ponderings lead me to, oh, yes, and we've lived through this, you know, however many, like a year plus of being in a pandemic. And that definitely raised you know, many, many, many people's uh, fears and questions and resistances to death or acceptance of death or denial of death. So, um, so you know, there's one thing to have the uncertainty in your face of a medical diagnosis and there's another thing to know that no moment is certain. No moment at all is certain and it really... You know, it brings, it can, for me, it brings me into my presence, into appreciation and gratitude for what is. I'm human, so I have definitely been struggled in and, I have definitely been struggling in and out of those practices and awarenesses and mindsets. Um, and the last point I have in my mental list is um, death of the ego. Death, so ego... That could be a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> um, I don't think ego needs to be completely eliminated. I think there's a point of view that says that this self-preservation aspect of us is necessary to maintain our survival. Then we could get even deeper and ask, like, do we need to maintain our survival? That's a whole other question on the death topic. Uh, like, what is the urge that gets us to want or feel like we need to survive um yeah but when I was on the Ruben and Jesse podcast chatting with them I can't remember the exact question I think I think Jesse had asked me how do you move forward not being afraid of what the world will think of like you know, living an alternative lifestyle or knowing that you're doing things that, ha like, have been rejected before or, or um, discriminated against. I'm not sure that that was the question, but my answer actually, it, it makes sense to me, but also in some ways has been ringing in my ears since, so, like, for three months. Um, and my answer was ego deaths over and over and over again you die you let your ego die all day every day every night when you go to bed the same way we same way we do shavasana at the end of a yoga practice uh we we invite and allow and even i mean i'm not i'm not fully living this but i'm exploring it and it's in my awareness you know, to, and I would love to maybe go even further with this, to make this a daily ritual, you know, when the sun sets, to say goodbye, to let go, to really let go. And um, Alex Ebert, who was the lead singer for Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, I recently came across his Instagram, which can't remember the exact handle, but he's the bad guru, it's, it's called, um, or you can search his name. But he speaks about death too and it's just so 
it's just so intriguing to me and um i agree sort of with his his points on the fact that we can't we can't keep avoiding and ignoring death and um denying or avoiding death kind of um what's the word like fuels the way that our economy works you know so many things are to to avoid or delay death or to you know they can sell us more things when there's this whole other need to to not look old to not seem to um come closer to this thing that is death and yeah so what what i've come to find is or but you know my current pondering my current uh, mantra almost in regards to death is that until you fully accept and embrace death you will not know life you will not be living until you fully accept death and this is something I said I went to a tea and tarot event of some of my friends on zoom I think it was well, in the winter before, like at the end of 2020, and it must have been something that came through in one of the tarot cards, and I, I shared that my mom had cancer, and I think there were other themes, you know, based on the other participants, but I said, yeah, we are, we are completely rejecting an entire part of the circle, the cycle of life. We completely reject it. Um, and I don't know the stats on this, but just like on a practical level, my, my mind is going to um, composting and the fact that people don't do it and that um, can't remember, uh, my niece and nephew, like they, it's fine, it's fine, it's well, I don't know if it's fine, but it's it's normal. They didn't know they didn't know what composting was. And they're young. They're young, but I definitely dream of a world where you know what composting is before before you're old enough to talk. Just just because it's happening, you know, the people the people you live with are it's just a way of life. And I don't even necessarily mean you have a bin and you have a this. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other topic. Um, I met someone and I, I mentioned that we are nature. And they said, oh, that's an interesting concept. And I said, uh, no, no, it's not, it's not a concept. It's a fact. We are nature. And um, I mean, that could be another episode on its own. But I think it's it's related to this idea of the circle or the cycle of life and death and and... So instead of seeing each piece of nature as a separate thing, the way that our medical system has sort of like, I know it's evolving. I know not everyone does this, but like kind of seeing each organ as a separate thing, each body part, when really it all works as a system. It's the same as nature. And um, the, the... you know, trees produce seeds to grow new trees and old trees die and new trees grow and that cycle continues and continues, just as one example. Um, 
Yeah, and we, so death also came up yesterday in my meditation group. Someone's uh, relative in their 20s had passed away of a drug overdose. So that came up yesterday. And then, and then I found this article of Alex Ebert's that he had written. Oh man, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. I'm trying to remember the, what it was called. Oh, I think he, it was called Avoid Dance. So if you take out the two spaces between the three words, it's avoidance. But that's a really beautiful poetic uh, way to, to play with the words because that's sort of what he spoke to. Avoid dance. Like this life where we're ignoring or dancing around the truth of everything, like nothingness and every everything and yeah I could just talk in circles so I if you are in a place where you can close your eyes or just soften your awareness let's just drop in a little bit so I've been talking you've been listening I want you to shift your awareness to yourself you can keep listening if it feels all right Close your eyes. If it doesn't, uh, that's fine. You could also slowly gaze at your surroundings or find one fixed point to gaze at with soft eyes. And tune in to the movement and the sound and the expansion and contraction that happens as you breathe. So you're paying attention to your nostrils to your ribs, your lungs, your diaphragm, the way the belly moves out as you inhale and draws back in as you exhale. See if you can soften your shoulders down away from your ears. See if you can soften the muscles of your face until your eyebrows relax wider. Bring some space to the middle of the brow. Relax the jaw and the corners of the mouth. And perhaps you can even start to feel your heartbeat or your pulse. So feeling maybe for some movement in the chest, you might move your hands to a certain place, or if you can't feel your heartbeat in this moment, maybe you even do reach to feel your pulse, and it's, it's just an option. And just really acknowledge yourself right here, right now, in this moment, present. You're alive, your breath is flowing, your heart is beating. Your cells continually go through regeneration process on such a micro layer that we take it for granted and forget that, that our body is constantly recycling cells. You can just take a moment to acknowledge all of the ways your body releases voluntarily. Uh, by going to the washroom, 
sweating, by shedding hair and skin, by shaking or having twitches, by exhaling or releasing gas. On a less physical level, um, some letting go could be deciding to forgive, deciding, deciding to change your thought process or your mindset. Deciding to leave an old part of yourself in the past. You can bless it, you can thank it, you can acknowledge that it served a purpose. And if it no longer serves a purpose, bless it and thank it and send it away to compost. You might imagine sending what no longer serves you either back to the earth to be recycled, composts, or up through um, a burning purple-violet flame to be returned back to the ethers. Or you can visualize yourself bathing in water or rinsing in water. Actually recalling in this moment, 12 years ago, when I did my master's program, there were two groups in the class. And the two different groups had two different overarching themes to sort of explore and navigate. And mine was expiry. So it was... I would say very much related to death. There's many ways you could have looked at it, but if you if you give death more meaning than just a living being a living being's life ending in this incarnation, then expiry to me definitely is like a, a phase of the transmutation to death. Hmm. Take a few wide, slow breaths, rinsing out as you exhale and drawing back in nourishment as you inhale. And just acknowledge that this moment is unique from every other moment in your life. Acknowledge again that you are alive, you're here, you are, you are here, you are now. Yeah, so I shared this article by Alex Ebert in my meditation group last night, and then this morning my meditation facilitator, GAZ or Jessica from Make Conscious, um, she wove it into our practice, which was so beautiful. We were speaking about beauty yesterday and the clinging to beauty and any kind of clinging or grasping really comes from a fear of death, fear of letting go, all kinds of fears, so many of them stem back to the root of the fear of death. Um, another way I've heard of it from my, my teacher who taught me meditation uh, from the tantric yogic realm, she called it yoga of the mind, um, but for in her school of thought, the ultimate fear was the fear of annihilation. 
And what Jessica said this morning was that basically all spiritual practices um, bring us to terms with death and with this, this idea, this trusting, this knowing that uh, we do not end, we are not annihilated when our physical body dies. Hmm. Yeah, and if you've been on my Instagram lately, I have two videos, two IGTVs with my friend Jack Vicuto, and we speak on uncertainty, and he has decades of practice in the field of Buddhism, meditation, and uh, it's just so beautiful to learn from him and just constantly be in his awareness and his way of being, of really trusting and knowing that ambiguity and uncertainty <laughs> uncertainty is certain <laughs> it's the only thing that's certain um yeah but this the idea that what happens when we die uh that unknown can cause us anxiety um and then i would say the the these the desire the urge to plan and to be in control um also comes from a clinging or an attachment which would stem from a fear of death and some of those f deaths that we fear are more like a death a death of my plan a death of my ego in the sense of this is what I really wanted to happen or this is what I really want to portray or present or be seen as or or show up as or be known for um, and we attempt to control things uh, which we we might not think is restriction and resistance but it is <laughs> we're restricting and resisting the flow of the universe and natural flow of energy of ourselves and source. Yeah. Wow, I've opened up like 12 doors. <laughs> so now my mind is just sort of like a cloud, kind of breathing with all of those topics. So you can do the same thing. <laughs> It's interesting because just before I started recording, I pulled an oracle card and it says, share your voice. So I took that as an affirmation, affirmative, like, yes, do this, talk about death. <laughs> uh, and then the kind of subheading on, the, on this oracle card says, come out of the cave, persecution and expression. And I think I'm going to even read a little more what the card says. Let's say I've pulled this card many times. Um, so the throat chakra is definitely a thing for me to embrace, to share, to come out of my cave. <laughs> and it could be a message for you as well. So these are the Work Your Light Oracle cards uh, written by Rebecca Campbell and the art is by Danielle Noel. Really beautiful. Um, I'll read it to you. So share your voice. Come out of the cave persecution expression you are being called to share your voice 
perhaps by speaking up in a relationship or through writing, speaking, singing, or some other form of creative expression. I'm going to pause and I'm going to say, um, so I, I was really interested in what Alex Ebert had to say. I'm just going to make a note of what I want to put in the show notes for you guys. So I was really interested in what Alex Ebert had to say. So he's got some stuff on his IGTV. He's got that recent article, Avoid Dance. And then if you go onto YouTube, um, there is a video. I'm going to have to look up who hosted it, but the title was Dead Cool. So he's speaking about where did this concept of wanting to be cool come from and this individualization and and um, I'm just going to sum it up briefly. Um, it comes from social status anxiety. Status anxiety. Okay, so... Um, When I read that first paragraph of this oracle card, you're being called to share your voice. Um, if I say that to you, if there's zero anxiety for you when I say that, <laughs> amazing. Or uh, imagine something a little bigger, something that does bring you some anxiety. That anxiety is very likely status anxiety. It's a fear of how the outside world will perceive you. So what if I'm rejected for what I say? What if people think I'm crazy? What if I make a mistake? What if, what if, what if, what if, what will people think? Um, what if you inspire someone? What if you don't make a mistake? What if you make a mistake and it's okay because you're human? What if you're forgiven? What if, even if you get rejected by, you know, the, the loud critic, troll, or even if you don't, even if you do, what if sharing your truth connects you to some really amazing people who hear you and agree with you and are inspired by you? So that's the sort of uh, tangent for the first paragraph of that card. And I'll just ask you, like, what... When, when I read that, you're, you're being called to share your voice, what comes to mind? What is the call to action there? Where are you meant to share your voice? Okay. Perhaps by speaking up in a relationship or through writing, speaking, singing, or some other form of creative expression. I'll go on reading. We each hold a truth deep within us that longs to be expressed, sculpted for lifetimes. The voice of your soul is like no other. So sculpted for lifetimes. So this is coming from this spiritual belief that we don't end when our current mortal life ends. Okay? We exist beyond that. It carries with it wisdom that can only be gained through, through soul history and growth. By remembering, tapping into, and expressing this unique tone, we not only heal ourselves, we also heal the planet at large. When you share your voice, you unlock something in the universe. 
and call a missing piece of you home. Your individual voice is the most powerful sound current on the planet. If you have kept your soul's voice silenced or held back, chanting or singing could be truly life-changing for you. You could look into Kirtan, or you could look into my friend Elise Bessler's. Uh, she has an Instagram account called The Vocal Warrior, so she does voice coaching if you're looking for anything like that. Um, as we shed the layers of our personality and start letting our unique soul speak through us, we consider that we actually have a very clear message that longs to be shared. The more we speak it, the clearer it gets. There has never been a better time in history than right now to rise up, speak your truth, and share your soul's voice. If you feel fearful, know that you are not alone and that the world needs your unique tone in order to harmonize. As we each rise up and share our song, we make it easier for the next person to do the same. Express yourself. Share your voice. Speak to those who can hear you. Mm hmm. So that's, I mean, that's a little bit what I'm doing right here, right now. Uh, there's always more I feel I could do, but here I am and invite you to ask yourself, what can you do to share your voice? All right. Let's take a 10 second pause. <laughs> I just needed a moment, take a few deep breaths, re reassess myself. <laughs> so I want to jump back in at um, the 215 children that were found in Kamloops at the Indian Residential School last week and just explore, you know, the, the, the heartbreak, you know, we've, we've lived um, me as a white woman, um, not fully seeing those other humans as related to myself, uh, which is really sad and disappointing to me, um, because I find indigenous wisdom probably the most profound wisdom, the most profound respectful way of life that I've come across so far, the ancient ways of living in alignment with the earth and in this beautiful balance of acknowledging the spirit realm and the physical realm and um, seeing humans as the stewards of the earth, you know, and not at the top of some hierarchy and before, you know, all of their beliefs existed before Charles Darwin. <laughs> Um, and Descartes, and um, before people really just started to accept this idea of survival of the fittest. Um, yeah, so it's, it's heartbreaking in a lot of ways. It's heartbreaking that it's taken so long to be acknowledged. It's heartbreaking that it's still not being acknowledged, how much we haven't done. Um, 
and I, I I'm I've just been pondering and considering like why is that the case and why do we step away from that discomfort and that truth and why do we even deny it and I would say that's a um okay <laughs> It's a narcissistic defense mechanism. And I know that the even the word narcissism or narcissistic can be triggering, can trigger narcissistic defense mechanisms because no one wants to say that they have narcissism because it's become so stigmatized to be narcissistic. But we all have narcissistic tendencies. Um, and if you don't agree, then just imagine that I've redefined what narcissism is. Maybe my definition of it is a little bit different than your version that feels scary and stigmatized and bad and unforgivable. Um, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to read what I wrote on my Instagram stories the other day. Why? So this was a journal prompt that I invited people to ask themselves. Why do I avoid acknowledging the hard parts of the stories of our culture, our society, our past, present, and future? Why do I deny acknowledging the hard parts of our stories? What causes me to avoid paying attention more closely than I do? Okay. Um... Here's kind of my theory. Do we feel overwhelmed in scarcity? Um, that would take us out of our true capacity for compassion and resourcefulness. Do we fear we don't have enough time, money, or emotional or energetic capacity to hold space for even more? Even more challenges than our own? Never mind our own. Um... And then this next question, how can we set ourselves up to exist in the world differently with more support, more capacity, compassion, and willingness to hear and witness the pain and challenges of ourselves and others? So, the first thing that comes to mind is that it can be really hard. It doesn't have to be. But it seems like we've gotten to this place where it's really hard for us to witness other people's pain and suffering to the point where when a kid starts crying, we tell them not to cry. Why do we tell them not to cry? I think this is just a brief analysis because we don't want to deal with their emotions, the uncomfortable emotions. I also think in so many ways, there's so many emotions that have been, like I said, stigmatized. Uh, we've been trained and conditioned to think that they're bad and that would mean we are bad if we if we allow or express those emotions or accept them. I think we also, so on this kind of theme of uh, the scarcity mindset, we are so ill-equipped to understand how to process emotions unless you've kind of learned it yourself or are naturally really emotionally intelligent uh, but oftentimes that comes from navigating hard situations in your past. Um, there's sort of this weird default fear that if we allow that a little bit, then we're, we're opening the door to allow it a lot. 
you know? And, and then we get scared. Well, I just don't have the resources for this to, you know, the, the language would be like, get out of control or go off the rails. Like this really scarcity base. There's not enough. There's not enough time. I can't handle this. I already can't handle what's going on in my life. Um, yeah, even as I say that, I'm feeling like, oh, wow, it's so easy to just jump into that narrative and believe it and feel it and let my nervous system, like, just get caught up in it. But that's actually a choice. That's a choice. And we can, we can choose differently. We can choose, choose to show up differently. Um, I just finished reading the book, The Soul of Money. And this, the woman who writes it, Lynn Twist, is a fundraiser and a philanthropist. And um, that's, there's so much other, so many other topics to go with that book. But she speaks about how she, um, some of the fundraising from really, really wealthy people or corporations almost felt like they were trying to buy, buy back goodwill in a way um and she could feel energetically that it didn't feel honest or or fully in alignment or fully committed it was like a way to you know just donate the money and that will kind of clear your conscience whereas she also had an experience uh doing a fundraising event in a not so prosperous part of town in a big city and no one could no one was affluent no one I mean that's a generalization but people didn't have a lot of money but they all donated a, a little bit but with all of their heart you know and all of their intention and she felt energetically that even those small amounts went such a long way because of their intentions and because everyone wanted to contribute even if it was a really small amount you know two dollars five dollars ten dollars fifty dollars maybe um so what I'm getting at is, uh, and I don't, I don't think I do this. I think I have to call myself forward a little bit into this practice. Uh, I mean, I do it a little bit, but I know I could do more. Um, and I think this is common to think, oh, when I, when I have more, then I can give more. When I have more, then I can give more. Because we've bought into this individualized, um way of living where we don't trust others and we feel like we have to make it on our own and I, I really am starting to to wonder if that is intentionally perpetuated just to keep um to keep consumerism really high you know if we don't share with our friends and our neighbors then we all have to own more things which means we have to buy more things uh which is not true that's just I'm just saying like the assumptive unconscious behavior Wow, I'm really, I'm, I'm going all over the place. If you don't like these wild rides, my podcast might not be for you. <laughs> this is just how my brain works. Um, yeah, so, so I was just pondering, um, why has it taken so long? And I, I don't, I actually don't know the facts, but I'm pretty sure it was indigenous elders in Kamloops who who had this investigation process to 
scan the land with those um, I think it's like a seismic sensor so it wasn't even uh, from what I understand it wasn't even a government um, led investigation <sighs> so what is this um, yeah honestly I have to say it it's disgusting if you've ever read some of the quotes of what the, the colonizers you know what the white people were do were saying were strategizing to um I can't remember the exact quote you know the sort of concept of kill the indian keep the man or something just so disgusting yeah i mean yeah so i guess I'm sad that it's taken so long for us to acknowledge it, to speak up, to speak out. I know we have never done enough. I don't know if we ever will, but I, I know even if we, even if we can never do enough, it's still very worth it to start attempting to be good humans and see these people as our brothers and sisters because they are. And yeah. Um, but just curious what, what makes the nation go wild over, you know, a, a school bus of white, mostly white hockey players, a wild with grief, and when just the tip of the iceberg, iceberg of facts of unmarked graves, denied, uh, deaths and neglect and abuse and murder genocide strategically um ethnic cleansing i suppose yeah and why so why have we been denying this for so fucking long <laughs> that's what i that's what i want to ask and um you know there's part of me that's a little afraid that i'm not i'm not asking the right questions or not doing enough but this is where i am and this is where i'll start and yeah, I really, I really think it feel it feels to me a little bit like the oil industry, you know, like the way, the way that, um, let's say the colonizers just came in with their strategy and, uh, decided to sign these treaties with the native peoples and didn't actually follow through with them and tricked them you know, the treaties were, it was all the, all they could do is better than nothing. That's, I think that's kind of how the, a lot of indigenous people thought about it. Like, if we don't do this, then we have nothing. And people today are like, well, you got your treaties. Uh, no, to me, that's, that's not okay. That's not enough. And people want to just brush past it. It's the same with the Me Too movement. Um, Oh, that happened so long ago. Do we really have to go back and, like, look at what I did in college? <laughs> yeah, what is, what is this brush it off entitlement, not wanting to be held accountable? What is that? Um, white supremacy? <laughs> misogyny uh i know those words can be dangerous but it's also good to to like 
say it out loud sometimes instead of saying like, oh, you know, boys will be boys or that's just the way it is. That phrase, that's just the way it is, is not, that is completely destructive. It's non-constructive. Mm-hmm. So I think, let's just say, if you're similar to me and you were raised in Canada as a white person, not a person of color, um, you know, many, many people in that category have European ancestry. Uh, and yeah, some of our ancestors came here because we thought we'd have a better life and, and not everyone was overtly complicit in what happened to the indigenous people and and still um yeah it's uh I don't even know what to say <laughs> and I'm realizing okay the topic is death so let's get back to death um and I'm just also cognizant of like that question my friend asked me and am I actually answering it yeah honestly I think so a we have been conditioned out of accepting and allowing our our full range of emotions we've been shamed and stigmatized um out of our emotions, including pain, pain, and I, I really think there's just so many generations of trauma and pain that haven't been healed, haven't been acknowledged, uh, and that's why, for example, the, this white culture in Canada, um, why so many people just feel like they don't have the capacity, uh, to acknowledge other people's pain, because they, they can't acknowledge their own pain. They don't know how. They, they feel like they don't have the capacity and they just want to keep on living, denying and oblivious because they're afraid if they open that door, they will be flooded and it will never end. Um, yeah, and I, like it's confronting. It's uncomfortable to come face to face with uh, painful violent, hurtful, harmful, sad, disappointing, disgusting things that um, have happened because of our complacency? Is that the same as complicity? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so then I ask this question, how can we set ourselves up to exist in the world differently? And what I think is we need to make it a regular practice to acknowledge our feelings, to go into our own personal healing, and then uh, also in relationship with people we love, with strangers, in groups, and one-on-one, to to really practice allowing people to be as they are, holding space for their feelings without necessarily feeling like we need to fix them, without necessarily needing to feel like it's our fault or our problem to solve. I do think accountability is extremely important, but I think I think it's pretty common not to acknowledge people's pain because we think we need to do something about it or we don't want to have to take the blame for it which is 
really interesting. That's also a narcissistic defense mechanism. Um, yeah, so I guess we can go to ego from there because so many of these narcissistic defense mechanisms, that's, that is a place to practice your ego death. So what would happen if you stopped and you acknowledged instead of defended, you know, wow, like, I see you grieving. I see how my ancestors contributed to this. I see how me and my lifestyle contribute to this. I see that this is really hard for you. And at this moment, I don't even know what to do. Because the, the alternative of denying, just denying it, ignoring it, brushing it off, is to not, so that we don't have to feel the feelings. And so we don't have to take accountability. So we don't have to hold space for someone else's pain. But do you know what's beautiful about one more person holding space for someone's pain? That's one more person who knows how. And then on the other end, someone else who has experienced it, who now also will have a little more capacity, a little more love in their heart to hold space for pain. All right. I'm going to go back to talking about the fear or avoidance of death um, and how letting go is really the answer. So I had mentioned this this concept, this sort of mantra I have of um, in order to truly know life, you have to truly know death or truly embrace and accept death. I really think understanding and having a relationship with death instead of being denial about it, whether that's, you know, the end of your life or these different ego deaths, you know, like every time you go to bed, every time a project finishes, every time uh, you leave a location. Yeah, so what, so, um, what Alex Ebert spoke about is there's this concept called apoptosis. Um, so, cancer cells are cells that are not willing to uh, I don't I don't know the scientific language but they're unwilling to like self-destruct and you know recycle through the body instead they kind of cling to life and replicate um and he he kind of compares it to our the way our industrial world is it has been and is growing and and you can also and sorry so what um kind of the concept there is that all of our so many of our technologies exist because we fear death and ironically all of these technologies that we're creating to try and prolong life or avoid death uh, or avoid the pain of the emotional discomfort of acknowledging that death is a huge part of the cycle of life. Like, I want to say 25%, <laughs> you know, or what, you know, you can't, don't necessarily put a number to it, but I kind of want to say like the seasons, the four seasons, you know, and, and there's this time before, bo before birth and after life. 
uh, afterlife and before birth. That whole chunk of time uh, needs to be acknowledged and uh, older cultures did have like really wonderful, really beautiful, impactful, I would say necessary rituals and practices and acknowledgements of that phase of the cycle of life, whether it's the seasons or someone's life, death, birth, um, it needs to be acknowledged. And we've cut, we've cut those, um, practices, those initiations, those rituals out, especially in the West, especially, it seems, especially in Canada and the United States. I know some people do a really beautiful job of maintaining their culture, but it seems like there's something about, you know, amalgamating so many cultures together. We, we almost just sort of either lost, you know, the same way the indigenous people like lost our culture out of fear or pain or suffering, or just kind of blended in with, you know, what else is around us. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know that it's actually even healthy to say that we lost our culture the same way because I definitely can't say that all of us were abused and traumatized strategically to forget our culture like the First Nations people were. So it's possible that that happened in Europe, you know, before Europeans emigrated here. For example, the witch hunt was a little bit like that. Um don't be a woman, don't be intuitive, don't be a healer, or you'll die. You'll be drowned, and if you float, that means you're a witch, so we'll kill you, and if you don't float, you're not a witch, but you're dead, uh, or we'll burn you at the stake, and we will torture your neighbors and your relatives and your friends until they admit that you are a witch, um, which means they'll be brutally harmed, and once they confess that you're a witch because they are being tortured, uh, then you will die. Uh, which actually I learned in a, I can't remember the name of the documentary, but that was, that was actually a really capitalistic, um, venture, the whole witch hunt, because every aspect of the witch hunt had a profit, uh, profit making, ability, you know, to, to go collect the witch, to bring them to the jail, to bring them to trial, to feed them. People were making money off that shit and they were perpetuating it. That's so disgusting. Um, and maybe that has to be a whole other episode. I'm really talking today. I'm wondering where is Mercury in my chart? Because I am talking. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, letting go. So, okay, back to Alex Ebert. He was just comparing this concept of apoptosis. Uh, cancer basically exists when cells refuse to let go of the cycle of life. They refuse to allow death of their cell so that a new cell can be created. Um, and then they propagate. And... I don't know. I, it just really hits home with me. You know, we, for years I've wanted, I've like had this feeling like I don't, I don't need what I, I don't need my belongings. I don't need this much. I mean, I, I want some of them. I don't know if I could get rid of all of them, but there's so much I don't need. And I have some stuff in storage because I'm living with my parents at the moment. And I just 
you know, sometimes visualize the things in storage and like, why? Like, I don't need those things. Someone else could be using them. What it's, you know, we, we look at our belongings as wealth, but if, if my version of wealth or success is freedom to move and be nomadic, which hopefully will be more possible soon, um, <clears throat> then belongings are actually costing me, you know? Having more belongings is actually costing me. And if anyone wants to talk about that, minimizing your belongings, I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to learn more about it. And if you've done it, I'd love to hear about it. Um, ego deaths. So, ego deaths. Letting go of your attachment to how you are perceived, to how, to your reputation, to how people know you. You know, the ego does a really good job. It's, it does a really good job of controlling how it's perceived, how you are perceived, what your reputation is as a form of self-preservation. Um, yeah, and this was another thing Alex Ebert said was, you know, like he, he's never really had a consistent brand or visual. Uh, he also talks about like moving through this whole phase of like being cool, attempting to be cool and then like stepping away from it and seeing, holy shit, that's just a whole game. And um, yeah, but he speaks of how branding is well, I'm not sure if he said this, but this is what I took from it. Branding, like this cohesive visual representation, that's your ego. And it's not real because change is inevitable. And I definitely feel that. I feel, you know, like a resistance, even though I'm playing into it, a resistance to the consistent aesthetics of your Instagram page, my Instagram page. Uh, because I, I'm, like, hoping for it to look at least trust, like, you know, credible, trustworthy. And that's the thing, is people, for some reason, have been conditioned to trust a consistent visual. But really, this is another fear of death. We're f afraid of changing. How many times have I heard of, like, a yoga teacher friend who evolved, you know, realized, wow, like, the way I'm teaching isn't how I want to teach. I'm going to evolve. And it's not the, it's not the teacher who suffers. It's the students who are attached to this one specific way, you know, to their, to their, what was like a regular standardized schedule and like a regular class that they could expect. And, and we, you know, we have to be really careful not to hold other people in stagnation because of our fear of change. Seriously. Yeah. I'm surprised that came out. I'm like, we have to be very careful not to hold other people in stagnation because of our fear of change, because of our fear of death. Honestly, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see, wow, you know, you know what we should be scared of? <laughs> not changing, <laughs> you know, because change is inevitable. So would you rather choose your changes? Would you rather them creep up on you and freak you out and not be what you expected? There will always be unexpected. 
you know, we can't, we can't also, you know, do the work around and like, you know, maybe that's what I'm trying to do right now. Maybe my ego is trying to outsmart uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll own that. Definitely, definitely, uh, I'm working with this str- strategy of avoiding suffering. And from what I'm learning, suffering comes from attachment. Suffering comes from resistance. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Hmm. Death. Death, 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 death. You know, I could probably do many more podcasts on this. It's been interesting to just let let it flow, see what comes out and how and how things are interconnected. Um, I might just end with some reflection and some questions, some prompts for you to journal and so what do you know you're ready to let go of what do you know you're ready to let go of what do you know you're ready to let go of but you're afraid or hesitant And what will be, what would be the benefits of letting go of that thing? Letting it die. Letting it evolve. What do you want to bring to life in this world? You know, what, what project or... You know, it could, it could be such a, a simple, funny analogy. You know, let's say... Let's say my room's a mess and I have stuff all over the floor. If I want to do some, you know, exercise or yoga or dance, I'm going to have to clean the room, clean off the floor. So there has to be a death of that old, that old, um, status, I guess. Uh, there's another word, but it's not coming to my mind. (laughs) You know, you have to finish one thing to uh, to make space for the next thing. And what is that in your life? Maybe it's your diet, maybe it's your mindset, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a piece of furniture, maybe it's um yeah, maybe it's part of you. Maybe it's a part of your reputation that you've been attached to. But actually, you're starting to realize <clears throat> it's limiting your freedom. It's not. It's no longer serving you. It's no longer propelling you forward. It's actually, this is wild. The word that's coming to me is suffocating you. You know, I didn't, I didn't like intend that to come out, but that's what's coming through really strong. What, what aspect of yourself have you been clinging to that's actually suffocating you? I just really, I see like, you know, imagine yourself stripping naked. (laughs) Maybe you do. You know, there's a fear. There's a, you know, dream. Have you ever had a dream where you're naked and exposed in public? Um, 
And then, and then what? You know, we all have potty parts. We all, you know, we're all naked under our clothes all day and night long. Um, so it's so, it's so easy to build up this terrifying story that if we quote unquote get naked, you know, shed a layer or lose a, lose a mask or a persona or a quality or a reputation that will die. But what if that death is actually beautiful, you know? And that's what the, that's what these like initiation ceremonies are for, you know, to bless and thank, for example, the, the youth that you have been and make room now, say goodbye, make room for you to evolve into the next level, you know, like a, into adulthood, into this motherhood or fatherhood archetype doesn't have to mean you have children, like this creator, into the creator archetype. So knowing or feeling into this concept that nothing is ever certain, nothing is ever certain. If you were going to die in a year or six months or three months or one month or one week or tomorrow or in an hour, let's start within an hour. If you were going to die, if you knew you were going to die in an hour, what would you do for the next hour? What feels really important to you? If you had to pack one bag or suitcase and never come home again, what would you take? Mm, I did this really beautiful practice with Sasha Bahador. She does some teachings through Attune to the Moon, and she has her own uh, teachings through her website too. A yoga teacher and a dream teacher and spirit uh, like she guides you to connect to spirit, um, in sacred circle and things like that. But I did a workshop with her where we were guided to meet our death walker guides, a spirit animal guide. Um, and that was a really, really beautiful experience because you know what it does? It, it, uh, empowers you well, I speak for myself, it empowered me to, to create some comfort in a place that is seemingly unknown and in that unknownness uh, can be some fear, some anxiety, maybe even terror, that fear of death. So we went on a guided journey and our death walker guide spirit animal was revealed to us and we created a cozy space uh, in this in-between, in-between conscious and unconscious, in-between uh, life and death, this place that we can return to and spend time, spend time kind of meditating where you can, you know, go to this 
cozy place and decorate or just set the mood or or visualize making it yours making it sacred making it what you want and and also you you meet a spirit ally so you have now in your consciousness this ally to walk you to hold your hand and take you from life to the in-between and to death and yeah I'm now remembering she said like come come back and visit this place you know become a regular I I mean you'll you'd have to ask her uh really what what the formal practice is that maybe she learned from a tradition or if it was her intuition but um it's reminding me to to return to that place and build a relationship with that place and with that spirit animal and that's yeah because you can once you create that relationship you can start to see hints of it in everyday life and that can be affirming as well whether it's like uh, similar animals or similar coloring or a similar space or maybe you find little objects here in 3D realm to put on your altar that are intended to also exist in the in-between. That feels like a really beautiful place to end and yeah you can even you know guide your th guide yourself on that kind of journey to get to know that place to create that place. So that's just a, you know, breaking the ice, delving into the realm and the concept of death a little bit so that we're comfortable with it. Yeah. It just really, I mean, it's probably because I'm living with my mom who has cancer and we've also lived through a year of pandemic and my sister-in-law's father died of COVID and, um... You know, it's just really made me think, yeah, if we don't, if we don't have a relationship with death, then what? Like, how much are we resisting and rejecting and denying? And what does that do? And what, what's the most supportive option? You know, to me, it, it's making peace with death as best we can and that doesn't mean it will be smooth necessarily <laughs> I think we'll be smoother smoother than not resisting and I think some of the things we fear are you know sometimes we fear grieving and what if we just before we even make peace with death what if we make peace with grieving being okay and normal it is really is it's really okay you know in my mind what I'm seeing is like uh, it's sort of weird but I'm gonna say it so like when when you finish your dinner but and and there's not like anything else to eat but you still have to kind of scrape crumbs or sauce off of the plate before you wash it that is so weird what does it mean <laughs> grief yeah, you know, so if you're looking at a plate that you eat your meals off of 
as representing this cycle of life you know it's like it's clean in the cupboard and then you take it out and then you put these you know this beautiful nourishing or simple nourishing food on the plate and then as you eat like it gets really <laughs> could get really messy or you're, you're interacting with it a lot and then you start to slow down your eating and then eventually there's less and less food on your plate you know like going going from like pre-birth and then it gets the plate the clean plate like as it leaves the cupboard is like birthed and then and then you like add food to it that's like the life experience and then you're eating it and interacting you know like deep in the depths of this living and then the meal starts to disappear starts to be digested and then you go and just kind of scrape the remains into the garbage or the compost I feel like that's the part we need to start embracing. You know, when the meal is done and you scrape, scrape your plate off and then you rinse and clean it. And that is allowing for death. And that is beautiful and we need to start accepting that. We need to start paying attention to it. We need to start being present to all of these little deaths that that's the practice that's the practice to work your way towards the big death <laughs> and and it won't be so big you know it won't be so big if we take all of these little moments you know like oh i always have to have the last word well i'm gonna let that part of my ego die for a moment and not have the last word in the next five conversations i have or you know i'm terrified to say anything because what if I say the wrong thing no I'm gonna let that part of my ego die and I'm just gonna take the risk and say what I need to say or you know or you know you you do your your yoga practice you do your shavasana you do your shavasana to integrate and to allow so your yoga practice is a life cycle okay if you don't do your shavasana or a meditation at the end, you are denying the full cycle, okay? It's like sending food to the dump when it could be composted. What's the point, <laughs> you know? What's the point? Hmm. Well, I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, thanks for coming on the many forked path of my brain on the topic of death <laughs> and yeah please uh, dm me on instagram or if you're on the anchor app listening to the podcast you can actually send me a voice message uh yeah so i'd love to hear from you and if you have requests for subject matter let me know let me see if I can get, get you guys another meditation soon, another guided meditation. Okay, take care and enjoy the warming weather of the Northern Hemisphere. Okay, ciao. Beautiful people, thank you for listening and just gonna shout myself out and plug myself and to let you know on the topic of death and soul and other lives and 
all of those things I do Akashic record readings so it doesn't it definitely doesn't work well if you come with really specific uh, expectations but it, it it does really work well if you come open to uh, soul insight to the wisdom of your soul and um, I can't promise what will come from it but often there's a guided meditation or an explanation of like the feelings the visuals I'm getting and you can ask questions we can I can help you create questions uh, they can be specific to life questions you have or or like big or or like current day life questions um or just kind of to get to know your soul, you know, take some time and, and even just energetically for someone to open the records for you or for you to do it for yourself. Just the energetic, you know, vibe and the intention of that in itself is healing. So just creating any kind of intentional container can be can be healing. So I do that. I also do an introductory natal chart readings or I can teach you how to read your own and on the the way other end of the spectrum my design business I do kitchen design for residential so home renovations um so if you ever you or anyone you know needs a kitchen or a bathroom or a basement development designed let me know I can help you out and um yeah, and I can do it all remotely. I can do I can do kitchen design with the dimensions uh, remotely. I can do the readings on Zoom. So if you're not in the Edmonton area, that's not a problem. I hope you're well. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheerio. Mm-hmm.